Hey guys, welcome back. It's Sally Alicia of the Sober Sally Podcast. I haven't been able to record or upload or anything because life has just been happening. And it seems like something has always just been happening. My sister says I have like this drama force around me and she wants to find me something to detox the drama in my life which I've never heard of but apparently it's like a real thing and she's looking into it for me so shout out to my sister if you figure out what that drama detox is pass it on this way because I am more than happy to uh, detox all the bullshit out of my life and move on and just be happy with myself so Thanksgiving has passed We are now on our way to Christmas, and as someone who's sober, you know, it gets really hard. Um, Basically, doing anything (laughs) during these holiday times, because there's just so much alcohol around you, or there's, like, people who are drinking around you, or there's just, like, advertisements, and it's actually, like, real fucking annoying how normalized alcohol is in society. But it is what it is, and uh, for those of you out there who are also struggling with sobriety during the holidays, I just want to say that you got this, and, you know, you don't have to contribute to that particular part of the holidays. And honestly, like, the way I think about it, we call ourselves alcoholics or the recovering addicts, but... In reality, our whole fucking society is full of alcoholics, um, and they're just addicts who haven't admitted that that's a problem. I mean, I think if, like, every single party and every single event and every single thing you're doing, like, you have to have a sip of alcohol, like, to me, you're considered a fucking alcoholic. You just don't know it, or you just don't want to admit it, or, like, whatever the case be. But really, all of society is sick. Um, I just did a speech for my communications classes and it was about alcoholism in America and that coronavirus isn't the only pandemic that we are experiencing. We have a mass, mass alcoholic pandemic going on. And so specifically around the holidays, if you aren't sober, if you are an active drinker or whatever, you just drink sometimes, not all the time, whatever it be, Just really support your friends, your family, or whoever you know that is a recovering alcoholic or who is sober. Really support them during this time. If you can refrain from drinking in front of them or around them during the holidays, please do so. It makes it easier for us. And that might sound selfish, but, you know, if there's, like, one sober person in a bunch of 20 You know, be that second sober person just for the night, just for the day, just for the four hours that you might interact with them or hang out with them or be around them. I think it would be really greatly appreciated um, by the sober community to have friends or family or random strangers that, you know, can look at that picture and be like, you know what, I was planning on drinking, but I actually don't feel like drinking because... I want to be respectful to this person or I want to get to know this person and not be intoxicated or under the influence while I'm trying to get to know them. 
That being said, over the last few weeks, I've really had time to evaluate my life. And a lot of it has to do with the classes that I'm taking. I'm currently trying to get my associate's degree in communication. So a lot of it had to do with the courses I was taking. And it wasn't just about communication and how to communicate with others. It was about reflecting on yourself, your upbringing, your culture, your past, your traumas, pretty much everything that leads us to who you are now. Those classes helped me reflect greatly. And as I was reflecting, I wanted to narrow in on, sorry, got a little itch in my throat. I work with children, these damn kids, you get me sick. Um, I wanted to narrow in on when was the first time I blacked out. I had mentioned in an earlier episode that I was what you call a binge drinker. So I just don't know when to stop. I, my body doesn't allow me to regurgitate any of what's going inside of it. It just stays in there like a goddamn one-way sponge. Just goes in, but nothing comes out, you know? Um, so I really wanted to narrow in on when the first time I blacked out was. And I actually was able to pinpoint the first time that I distinctively remember blacking out. And to my best knowledge, this really was the first time that I blacked out. So a little backstory: Last night, I was watching a documentary on Netflix. It's called Audrey and Daisy. And if you haven't seen it, I really recommend it. Um, it's a story about Audrey Potts and Daisy Coleman, and unfortunately, neither are no, are no longer with us. Audrey Potts and Daisy Coleman were sexually assaulted when they were 14 and 15 years old. And while I was watching this documentary, that's really when the narrowing in happened for me. I was watching this story, and I was just being blown away at what happened, the things people were saying, how law enforcement handled it, how their families handled it, how they handled it. It really helped me understand what happened to me. So trigger warning for those out there, this is going to be a sexual assault story. And for anybody listening, I just want you to know this is to my best knowledge. This is my recollection, and this is only my half of the story. And you can take whatever you want from it. Take none of it. You can believe me. You cannot believe me. Um, But it happened to me. And for the first time ever, I'm going to talk about it on a public platform And also, for the first time ever, to any friends or family members who are listening, this will be their first time also hearing exactly my side of the story about what happened. (sighs) Here we go. So, when I was 15 years old, I remember it was like the first week of summer, I had already drinking 
before, and I had been drunk before, but I knew when to stop. I definitely knew when I had enough. I would never drink to the point of blacking out. I just wanted that, you know, little buzz that teenagers want when they first drink. It was the first week of summer. Okay, I will never forget this. I am 15 years old. It is the transitioning summer from sophomore to junior year. First week of summer, I'm hanging out with my friends. And I won't say any names, but we're hanging out at my friend, let's call her Susie. I'm hanging out at Susie's house with a a few other girls. And Susie has this garage that uh, is a detached garage. She lived in an apartment building, but she was the only one with a garage. And we kind of all hung out in there all the time. That's where we would get high, where we would drink. And her parents were kind of aware of what was going on. But as long as we weren't acting stupid, you know, they, I mean, I guess they realized teenagers will be teenagers. So we're hanging out, we're drinking a little bit, and I don't know if these boys called me or my friend, can't exactly remember, they called one of us, Um, and these boys were a grade younger than me, but they were still my age, I was a little bit older for for my age group, Um, they were our age, even though they were a grade younger, and one of them actually... I had been in a relationship with in middle school. It was, like, on and off, but, like, it was a relationship. Like, we called each other boyfriend and girlfriend, whatever. And even after we weren't boyfriend and girlfriend, we were still what I thought was pretty close. Like, we were still friends, and we still actively hung out. We just had, like, a big group of friends. Let's call this boy Tom. Okay, so I'm hanging out with Susie. Tom calls one of us and is like, hey, do you guys want to come over and drink? And I don't know. We just were like, okay, you know, we'll come over. You guys aren't too far of a walk. So we go over. And it's, like, casual. There's maybe, like, three or four girls, and there's, like, three or four guys. Um, And we're just hanging out and drinking. What happened next, I distinctively remember, and it was probably the one thing that I was very consistent with for years, right after it happened, all the way up until now. The one thing that I was, like, actively consistent about for a fact that I knew this happened. I go to the kitchen for whatever reason, and the way the house is, like, the kitchen was kind of off to the side. You couldn't really see from the other room. I go to the kitchen. Tom comes in, and he's kind of flirting with me. He's kind of getting a little, like, touchy-feely, and, you know, I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, Tom, like, not right now, or, like, no thanks, or whatever. And then he asks if I want to drink with him, and I remember telling him that I already had enough to drink, that I'm good for right now. Now, Tom, at this point, is a 15-year-old, 
foot football player. And I am a 5'6", skinny from eating problems kind of girl, just very small compared to him. And I always felt small compared to him. He proceeds to pin me up against the counter, and um, he's kind of squeezing me so that my arms aren't able to budge, and he proceeds to pour alcohol down my throat. He is, like, basically force-feeding this uh, water bottle of alcohol down my throat. And I remember, like, shaking my head. I remember telling him, no, like, I don't want to drink anymore. Almost right after that, I had already drinking quite a bit before that happened. Almost right after that, I blacked out. The next thing I remember is waking up in Susie's garage. Susie's there. Her mom's there, my mom's there, my stepdad is there, and I am just a very, very angry little girl. Still didn't know what happened. Uh, But I remember being so, so angry. And I didn't know why at the time, but I just remember waking up, coming back to consciousness, and laying on the floor... I think I was like half dressed or something. I don't I don't fully remember, but I was like in shorts or something. I wasn't fully clothed. And I remember screaming at the top of my lungs like, "Why the fuck is she here?" And I'm referencing my mom, just so angry and distraught and, you know, I was untamable at this moment. I think my parents did not know what to do because they didn't know what happened. And I was just angry that they were even in my presence. And I think maybe way, way, way back in my mind, my body probably knew what happened to me, but I did not. So I'm, like, yelling, like, why the fuck is my mom here? Why the fuck is she here? Get her the fuck away from me. And I I love my mom to this day, and I can't even believe that, like, I would even talk to her that way. But I did. I was such a troubled child during these years of my life. But Susie's mom was like, okay, like, you know, you guys can just go. We'll just let her sleep it off, and uh, we'll, like, talk about or you guys can come pick her up in the morning or whatever. So my parents leave. I wake up the next morning alone in that garage. I go upstairs into Susie's house. And this group of girls that I'm hanging out with, one of them in particular, we'll call her Jennifer. Jennifer and I were best fucking friends. I mean, best friends. She went through a lot of shit. I was there for her, I defended her, I literally was her voice. She was kind of like a weird mute girl, but she was like the pretty girl that everyone wanted to get to know, but she didn't always want to talk to people, she was just so introverted, so I was her voice. I realized that next morning, 
kind of where our friendship was. I woke up the next morning. I went upstairs into Susie's house. I walk upstairs like, what the fuck happened? My body hurts. My head hurts. My vagina hurts. Don't know why. Everything just hurts. And she looks me dead in the eyes and laughs and says, oh, my God, what happened to you last night was so funny. And I just looked at her like, what? And I went into the bathroom, turned on the shower. I sat in the shower fully clothed with whatever I had on. And I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried. And at this point, I still have no idea what's going on. My other friend comes in. Uh, and she looks at me, and right off the bat, I can tell in her eyes that something bad had happened, and I asked her, and we're, we're going to call her Mimi, that's her nickname, it's not her real name, so we're going to call her Mimi, and I asked her, Mimi, what happened? She said to me that well, you ended up getting really drunk and you went in the back room with Tom and I'm fully blacked out, okay? I'm, like, slurring words, barely making any sense. My conscious is not there. She says you went into the back room and so-and-so and, you know... Jennifer and I were kind of trying to get to you, and Tom's friends weren't really letting us go back there. And let me remind you, Tom is a football player. His friends, too, were also on the football team. So she tells me, yeah, you go back there. We can't really um, get to you the way the house is. There's like a hallway door that closes the hallway, and then all the bedrooms are in the back of the hallway. So they're standing in front of the first hallway door that closes the door to the rest of the hallway. And after some time, Tom comes out, and he says, go get your friend, or something along those lines. And now, uh, the owner of the house, which was one of Tom's friends, his older brother and his friends walk in, and they're like, yeah, go get your friend or, like, go get your slutty friend or something like that. So they go and get me, and I guess it's when we go home. But when they when they got me, she said I was barely dressed, that I wasn't conscious, I wasn't making any sense when I was trying to speak. And so when she's telling me this, I am sitting in the shower fully clothed totally just digesting and trying to process everything she had just told me. I was so hurt and mortified that not only did that happen to me, but that other boys saw me that way. A few days later, maybe like two or three, 
I'm sitting on Facebook, and at this point, I'm a recluse. I'm, like, hiding. I'm not really talking to anybody. I'm not responding to text messages. I'm really just keeping to myself. I was so embarrassed, so mortified. I'm sitting on Facebook at Susie's house, and I see it. I see it right there on Facebook. These boys are talking about what happened to me. They were mentioning how my vagina was purple because it was, like, bruised or whatever. And, and like, I can't believe she was laying there like that. Just talking about it but not actually using my name, not, like, actually using the words. But I knew it was about me. It was everybody who was there. I, I knew exactly that it was about me. And I just start breaking down. I'm like, oh, my fucking God, my life is over. I can't believe this is happening to me. So after that, a series of unfortunate events just began to happen. After a week, I started just drinking excessively. I just would rather feel nothing than feel everything I was feeling when I was sober. And not too long after that, maybe two weeks later, I drank so much. And, you know, I'll save this for another episode. I was so belligerent, I tried to attack my mom. My mom called the cops on me. I was arrested, taken to juvie. And... After I got out of juvie, my mom wanted to have a sit-down with me and talk to me about things, and I wish in that moment I had told her what happened to me, but my mind was so everywhere that it was the last thing I wanted to think about, so I didn't tell her what happened to me. The whole summer passes. I'm on probation because I got in trouble from trying to attack my mom. I went to juvie. They put me on probation, so I had to do drug programs, had to go to counselors, treatments, the whole shebang. I had to do it. The new school year starts. I'm already dreading it because I go to school with some of these people. Tom did not go to my school. He went to a private school, an all-boys school, and he was on the football team for there. I'm just so uncomfortable about being in this environment that I felt like I needed to talk to my counselor at school. And uh, I felt like I needed to go and talk to her because I remember having the peer groups who talked about sexual assault. I remember them coming to our classroom freshman year. And I remember thinking, like, oh, my God, that story is so sad. Like, I hope I never go through that. And they told me how much this counselor had helped them. So I felt like I needed to go and talk to her, and I did. I confided in her what happened to me. And, like, again, I'm 15 years old. I'm not aware of the laws that says if you confide in an adult, especially a school teacher or a school employee, that they have to report it to the police. So I told my school counselor, and... My family and I, we were out of town for my grandpa's 100th birthday. 
he wanted to go to Reno. So we were in Reno, and I remember we were sitting in the uh, hotel room. And my mom received a phone call, and she proceeded to tell me that it was the police department, and they said that, oh, Sally was at a party. She might have seen something. If you could just, like, bring her in, you know, to uh, discuss what happened at this party, and, you know, that's it. And I'm, like, I've been to a lot of parties. I've been, you know, with a lot of people. I don't know what they're talking about. I don't know what I saw totally unaware that they were referring to what I had told my counselor. So we get back. My parents take me to the police department. And I don't even know if this was, like, legal or what, but I get there, and they separate me from my parents. I think they took my parents to one room. They took me to another maybe to tell my parents what we are actually there for or just to see what I would say if I was alone. I had no idea. But they separated me, and they shouldn't have, but they did. So then I have a full-grown man, sheriff, sitting in my face asking me about this party. At first, I still have no idea what he's talking about. And then I quickly realized they're talking about what happened to me. And at this point, it's already been three or four months. I think around three months. I immediately was just, like, shelling up. I was like, oh, my fucking God, they know. Oh, my God, oh, my God, we're in the police station. So they start asking me questions about, like, what happened. And I think I, like told them that first part about what happened, but that I really didn't remember the rest. And that the reason I knew what happened was because they were talking about it online and, like, to each other. And then they asked me if I saved any of the evidence. Like, did I have any evidence? Did I take pictures of what they were talking about? Did I save my underwear from that night or my pants from that night? And I looked them dead in the face and I said, no, my first thought was not to save the underwear or the pants. My first thought was that I felt so disgusted about what happened to me that I needed to take a fucking shower. And that's what I did. I took a shower. I washed my clothes. And so at that point, or maybe a few moments later, I'm not really sure, you know, they reunite me with my parents, and I can see the look on my parents' face of them not knowing. And pretty much they couldn't really do anything about it. And I think the most upsetting part about that sheriff interaction was the sheriff's mentioning to me who he was, that he's a, that, you know, he seems like a nice boy, um, who's on the football team, and how this could affect his potential scholarships for college. I mean, their concern seemed more about how this would affect him if they felt like I was lying or they felt like they couldn't find out the whole truth. And I just remember feeling so alone 
when they started talking about him in that manner. So we left the sheriff's office and, you know, I think I confided in my parents a little bit about what happened, but never to, like, the extent that I'm kind of saying now. Because I was just a scared teenager. I didn't want to upset my parents. You know, even though this awful thing happened to me, I just didn't want them to see me in a way. I didn't want this label and whatever. I did not go to school for a whole week, maybe even two after that. I was gone a while that some of my classmates, including my first boyfriend at the time, was like, hey, where are you? I haven't seen you in a while and this and that. I was mortified because I knew they talked to each person that I had mentioned who was there. And really, bottom line, they couldn't get anything out of anyone. So nothing actually came about it. The only thing that came about it was that I now look like this big effing liar to everyone, and people were trying to discredit me or say that, you know, I was just, stupid and drunk and that like I wanted it or this and that but really after that I had seen Tom on a few occasions and he could not look me in the eye he knew what I knew um and unfortunately the way I look at the whole situation with the sheriffs was that my family and I, we really didn't have the financial means to go about this any further, especially without evidence. And his family was well off, so they could probably afford the best lawyers. And I just looked at it that way, that, you know, who can pay for the better lawyers to win this case? That's how I was looking at it. So nothing came about it. I just looked like this lying victim, and it shaped me to this person that I am today, but I want everyone to know that, like, this sexual trauma doesn't have to shape you in a negative way. It doesn't have to impact you in a negative way for years and years and years. And I actually feel blessed that I'm able to talk about it. And I was able to talk about it in high school, even after people called me a liar. I joined a group at my school. Um, It's called Students Offering Support. And I would actually talk about what happened to me to younger students, other students. I wanted to use my voice. I didn't want to be holed up in a wall because, so-and-so said I was lying. I wanted to tell people this is my side of the story and this did happen to me and whatever you take from it is what you take from it. So yes, my sexual trauma had shaped my alcohol addiction. It had made me want to drink more, but it didn't have to shape me in a negative way completely. I think I am the way I am because that happened to me. I was able to talk about something that a lot of people would just try to bury, and I didn't want to bury it. 
And I was able to connect with others and help others talk about what happened to them. Now, that was just on a small-scale community, but, I mean, the bigger impact of being able to have somebody walk up to you and tell you, like, thank you for sharing your story with me. This has actually happened to me, and I'm so glad that I heard somebody else talk about it because I was scared to even say anything, you know? As a teenage girl, and teenage girls do get sexually harassed, by their peers. It's a scary place to feel like you can't say anything to an adult, that like you have to confide in other peers. I always wanted to talk to my mom about everything that was happening to me in high school, but I just felt like I couldn't. And it wasn't for one particular reason, it was for a lot of different reasons. But I really felt like I couldn't talk to her. And if I had a different mindset, like the one I have now, I could have told her everything. I could have told her from the beginning what happened to me. I could have told her as early as the day after, the week after, or that same month. But I couldn't even tell her until I was confronted with it. And even then, I couldn't tell her the whole story. And I wish that I really did confide in her because I knew as her daughter, she would have done everything she could to protect me. She would have done everything she could to try to take that pain away that I was feeling. And maybe a lot of the things that happened to me after that wouldn't have happened if I was able to talk to her. But again, I was a self-indulged teenager, and I thought that I could just handle all my own problems and that I knew all the answers and that I could walk this fucking earth without a care in the world. I want everyone to know that it happens more often than you think, and it starts earlier than most people think. I was one of the more developed girls in my grade. I had double D boobs at age 10, 11, 12. I was in sports bras at 8, 9 years old. I was very well developed by the time I reached middle school and high school. Starting in middle school, I remember all my peers, all the boys, the fascination with my boobs. They would give me nicknames. They would throw things down my shirt so another one could run by and try to grab it out of there. They would pants me during P.E. They would try to do this annoying thing like drive-bys or scooping. If you don't know what that is, it's literally when somebody scoops your boob with their hand like a fucking scooper. And that was happening to me on a daily. It was just like, I didn't even know, like, it wasn't okay. I mean, I felt like, why are they touching me? This is my body. I don't like it. And I would tell them to stop. But it wasn't just like they were doing it to me. They were doing it to a few other girls, too. And I'm like, oh, maybe it's just boys being boys? Question mark, question mark, question mark, like, running through my brain. It was just so normalized. And I think it is till this day. 
you know, I don't see a lot of young people talking about it, but, like, while I was in it, it was so common, and I look back on it now, I reflect on it now, and think, holy shit, I was being sexually harassed since, like, the age of fucking 10, and nobody did anything about it, nothing happened, you know, I literally feel like the only thing I was hearing is, like, boys will be boys, you know, and I remember my eighth grade PE teacher, she knew that, like, I didn't like running the mile because my boobs were so big and they would just bounce up and down all the time. Uh, She knew I hated running the mile and she, like, pulled me aside and she told me, she's like, I know it's frustrating when the attention is on you, but I assure you this time will pass. And it actually sort of did in high school. I mean, like, the sexual harassment part changed. Like, nobody was really scooping me in high school. But, I mean, I was still, like, the target of bullying and shit-talking and plastering shit on the Internet about me or calling me a liar and whatnot. I mean, like, the whole Sally drama circle was just fucking endless. I mean, it was exhausting. But I'm thankful that I never did anything serious to take away that pain. And that brings me back to the Audrey and Daisy story. Audrey Potts killed herself 10 days after her sexual assault. And Daisy Coleman committed suicide this year eight years after her sexual assault. And I remember that feeling of wanting to die. I remember that feeling of just wanting to take the pain away. And I can say that I'm really blessed that I've never done anything to that extent. But that feeling is so real. When you just feel like you're so fucking alone. And even my best friends at the time, like, I didn't even feel like I had them. I felt like even though they heard parts of the story and they heard what I said to them, I felt like they were still judging me. I just am so blessed that I did not go to an extent, and a regrettable extent. And I feel incredibly blessed that I'm able to talk about it so openly So, this episode didn't exactly revolve around alcohol, but it was the start to my alcohol addiction. It was the start to me just completely not giving a fuck. Just, I was determined to be as destructive as possible so that I didn't feel like I could feel anything else or... Maybe I just wanted to be so destructive that I did other things to take away from that one thing that I was just terrified of. If anything like this has happened to you or to someone you know, don't take their words lightly. Listen. Be there for them. If you're a parent, you know your child best. If you notice something is off, Talk to them. 
ask them, what's happening? What happened? Are you okay? If you're a friend and you were there, never laugh. Never look at them and tell them what happened to you was and then proceed to laugh in their face. Make sure they know it's okay and that you're their friend and that you're going to be there to support them. If this has happened to you, I just want to let you know I'm here. I understand. I feel you. I feel everything you feel. I felt everything that you felt. And things do get better. Without this experience, I don't think I could have grown a backbone. I was determined to not give a single fuck about what anyone else thought of me. And three years after that incident, I'm pretty sure everybody who knew of me, knew about me, knew that I did not give a fuck, that I will keep telling my side of the story, that I'll keep walking, I'll keep talking, that I'm not going to let people bully me into silence because they made a mistake. We all make mistakes. It's called fucking owning it. Be fucking responsible and don't fucking victim blame when the victim is the one who's being hurt. <sighs> and to Tom, just a little, just a little thing, to Tom, I just want you to know that I forgive you as much as it pangs me to say. I forgive you because you obviously weren't taught how to treat a lady. There was probably a lot of social and peer pressure for you to lose your virginity or to get your fuck on or to be cool to all your friends, older brothers. You know, I'm not going to say it wasn't your fault because it was, but at the end of the day, I'm the one who's moving on because I confronted what happened. Now, maybe you don't care, but I don't think that you will ever fully move on from this because you weren't able to admit what you did. You weren't able to confront it. You weren't even able to look me in my fucking eyes after it happened. And we were friends. We were boyfriend and girlfriend at a few points in our time together. But also, I'm just thankful that I'm the one that's able to move forward from this. That I've confronted what's happened. I've addressed it. I've done what I can as much as I think that I can to move on from this very critical period in my life. And I think putting it on a public platform now actually is going to help me move on even more. I mean, I don't give you much thought all the time, but from time to time I do think about how do you feel about what you did to me? And I think I'll kind of just leave it at that. So, thank you for listening to my very intense rant slash story 
I felt like I needed to confront why I started blacking out with drinking and why I started going down a really terrible path. And I'm so glad I've had the last few weeks to reflect on this. If you're listening, I'm here for you. I'm here with you. And I hope that you can recover and find someone to confide in. Thank you.